pray with me. God, I pray that you would refresh us now, Lord, through your refreshing, life-giving water, that everybody watching online, everybody who's sitting here this morning would receive from you what they need today. So Jesus, do your powerful work of connecting people to Jesus today. We ask it in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we're concluding our Liquid Church series today, and if you're new with us here, you can always go online, and our Facebook and our YouTube channel has all of the messages that we started with. But just to summarize, it really is that vision from Ezekiel that led us into this journey, that the church is never just supposed to be a little holy huddle of people who follow Jesus, but rather we come together to be encouraged to go out from this place. And much like the water at the temple started as a little trickle, and as it went out into the community, grew larger and larger and had a greater and greater impact, we believe that is still God's vision for the church. And we want to be a part of that, that we are not just hoarding the living water for ourselves, but we are taking it out to our community and to our world, that our community and our world is better because God placed us here. Now, normally when we get ready to end a series, um, just so you know the mind of a pastor a little bit, um, usually by the time we get to the end of the series, I'm like, oh, good, I'm ready to move on. I'm tired of this because we've been working on it for like six months prior and been wrestling with it and putting messages together. And so by the time we get to an end of a series, we're really almost sick of it and tired of hearing about it and talking about it. But this one has been different for me, and I hope it's been different for some of you because I don't want the series to end. And what I really hope is not that the series doesn't end, but that it doesn't end in our own spirits, that this transforms the way we do church, the way we live as a community of believers together. I really hope this is transformed and continues to transform the way we live as a church. And so I think there's no better way to end a series than to look at words of Jesus. And we're going to look at words of Jesus today, and it comes from this Sermon on the Mount. Some of you who grew up in church, you might have heard that term before, Sermon on the Mount. And really what that comes from is Jesus literally standing on the mountainside from the Sea of Galilee. And some of you who traveled um, with me, and we had the privilege of going to Israel and being right there where we believe Jesus spoke these words from, and sort of this natural amphitheater grows out of this. And I just imagine thousands of people gathered around on the crowd hearing what Jesus had to say. But if you've ever read through the Sermon on the Mount, you can find it in Matthew's account of Jesus's life in chapters five, six, and seven. But if you've ever read through it before, they are challenging words. You see Jesus say things like, do not judge. Jesus doesn't come out and say, you know what, don't, don't be so judgy. <laughs> he says, don't judge. And he doesn't say, well, you know, just, if, just don't worry so much anymore. Don't worry. He's like, you know, just try not to fall into too much sexual temptation. I know it's out there, but just try to be a good person. He says, no, anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And so Jesus sets up this standard of perfection. He doesn't dummy down the law to say, well, as long as you can jump over this lowered bar, you're good. Jesus says, no, this is the way I created you to live. And if you look at it and read through it honestly, what you come to the conclusion of is, I can't measure up to that. And if you come to that conclusion, you're right. 
None of us can measure up to that. But Jesus says, I want you to know that this is the work I want to do because as you can move more in that direction, you become more and more like me. And when you become more and more like me, you become more and more free. And God doesn't give these rules and regulations and requirements. He doesn't paint for us this beautiful picture because he wants the guilt and the shame to weigh our shoulders down. He says, I want you to see this is where I want you to head. This is the direction I want you to go. Because when you stop judging and you become less judgmental and less judgmental, your spirit is free. Man, when you deal with lust and you work in that and you become more like this, you have been set free from this. And so this is what Jesus wants us to do. And this is why it's important for us to take a look at these words as we conclude this series today. Now, what I want to do is sort of, again, paint a picture as Jesus was sitting on this to give you an idea of the audience that he was speaking to. For the audience that Jesus had there was not the rich elite of the society that could pay hundreds of dollars for the hot ticket of hearing Jesus preach his Sermon on the Mount. These were common, ordinary folks. His audience wasn't rich. Most of them were very poor, living paycheck to paycheck. A lot of them were slaves and were um, living for other people and serving other people. So his audience wasn't rich. And really storing up for themselves wasn't an issue for them because they didn't have anything to store up. So they weren't hoarding all the stuff for themselves. They didn't live in that. That wasn't who Jesus was speaking to. That wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't as his audience was rich. The problem wasn't what they're storing stuff up for themselves. They're like, well, then what was the problem? And that's what I want to get to today because I think they have some of the same problems that we still have today. And the first problem is this. It's living with the assumption that it's all for my consumption. And I love that phrase, and I'll just be honest with you, I stole that from Andy Stanley. I heard that years and years ago, and it's still, it's like an earworm in my ear, and I hear that all the time because I love it, and maybe it's because I've had to wrestle this one so often. The assumption that everything I get is for my personal consumption. Now, back in March, when everybody sort of went and lived in their homes and locked down, and there wasn't anything else you could do, and you just sort of lived there, um, we did some spring cleaning. Anybody else did some spring cleaning like that was going on in March and April? I'm the only one. Okay, that's great um, to do that. Some of you watching at home, you're like, no, that's what we're doing right now as we're listening to you. We're cleaning our home. We're doing fall cleaning is what we're doing. So we're doing some fall cleaning, and it was in the office where my wife works from home in there, and, and had found a you know, box of old tax returns that are in there. I'm like, man, I haven't looked in these. I just throw in another file on top every single year, and I dug down to the bottom of the box, and there are tax returns in there from 1990. That was the year I graduated college, 1990. That was there. I'm like, wow, that's curious. And so I pulled open the file, and in there, um, I had this that was in there from uh, Little Caesars Enterprises, Inc., my W-2 for 1990. Just thought I'd share that with you, because it brought back all kinds of memories for me. I'll share them with you. Uh, Wages for the year. You ready for this? Just hold on to your seat. $7,463.20. Man, that was a summer worth of work to get ready to pay for grad school. That's what that was. My federal income tax, $880.57 taken out of my check. Social Security, $570.95. That's what I 
remember 1990. That was in the file. And you're like, why are you keeping files from 1990? We're taking care of that. Just let you know as so you can let that one um, be aside. But it reminded me, I still remember the very first paycheck I got from Little Caesar. And I was excited because I'm a natural saver. That's what I like doing. And so the idea of making money and then I can save some money and then spend some money when I want to was really exciting for me as a kid. And I'm still a saver. My wife says I'm cheap. I think I'm frugal is really what that is. And so we just look at things in a different vantage point. But I remember the first check I got at Little Caesars. And I was like, man, I was so excited to have this money. And I couldn't wait to go to the bank and drop it into my savings account. But then I made the mistake of looking at the bottom part of the check. And I looked down there. I'm like, man, who is FICA? And why is he taking so much of my money? That doesn't seem very fair. And I'm looking down and see all the other things that are taken out of my check. And I go home and I'm lamenting with my parents. And my dad sits down with me. He said, okay, let me explain some things to you. Welcome to the adult world, son. This is what it is. You like driving on roads? Yes, I like driving on roads. Well, congratulate. Those cost money. And guess who pays for that? Your tax dollars pay for you. So this is welcome to adulthood. You pay taxes now, and this is what you're doing. You're paying for those roads and police departments and fire departments and the education you're getting. This is where that money comes from, is everybody gets money taken out of their check and giving it to the government for them to disseminate so that we can have some of the things that we enjoy in our society today. So that is why you're paying taxes. And I remember just sort of folding my arms and like, that's not fair. <laughs> well, why, is, why isn't that fair? Because I, I didn't decide on that. Well, that's part of voting and citizenship. That's what we, we do. And I, I can still remember thinking, you know what, I think um, we would probably be much better in government spending if instead of taking money out of our check every week, that every time we got a check, that we would have to write a check and hand money over every single time we got a paycheck. I think we demand a little better from um, our government and from our society at large if we did things that way. But that's a whole different side of the equation. What really dealt with my issue was this, is that I assumed that everything I earned was for me. And it's all for my consumption. And maybe some of you wrestle with that even as I say that now. So what's the anecdote? If you find yourself wrestling with that as I have and continue to do, what's the anecdote to that? Well, the simple anecdote is to give generously. That is a great anecdote to assuming it's all for my consumption is instead of keeping it all for myself is to letting it go and giving some of it away and being generous with what I have. Now, I grew up very fortunate to have grandparents and parents who taught me giving. And I realized that that is sort of a dying breed, but I grew up tithing. And so I make $100 at Little Caesars. Um, that was easy. You just take $10 of that and you put that in the offering plate. I grew up with that. I know people look at me like I'm from Mars. When I talk at you, like you give the first 10%. Yes, we still give more than 10% of our income away, the first fruits of that. So we give it away because I don't want to live under the assumption that it's all for my consumption. We want to give it away. And my wife and I, we support a lot of different charities and, and we love being generous and we want to continue to foster that and give generously. But I want to know that not only do I do that personally as, as your pastor, but I want you to know your church does that as well. And your church um, not only does that, but we did that in our capital campaign. Just over three years ago, we embarked on a capital campaign called Heart for His House. And you all pledged $1.4 million for this campaign. Um, we decided to give 400000 of that toward missions. As we went into that campaign, that was our goal. We, and we raised $400,000. And one of the first things we did is we built a house 
a little house from Heart First House Capital Campaign for a, a single mom in Jamaica. I love that. So we're giving away what we do. We practice what we preach here. And, and by the way, we give away 14% of the offerings that come in. So before we even spend a dollar of that, 14% of that boom is out the door. And I love that as a church, that long before I got here, they decided we are at least tithing, and so we're giving 10% away before we spend any of that. And I love that position of our church. Last year, it was 13%. We very intentionally said, this year, we want to make it 14%, because we feel like we live in a climate of people who are hoarding, and we're hoarding toilet paper, we're hoarding whatever supplies we think we need, and we're putting all that together. We said, we want to live differently than the world, and so we're going to up our game, and we're going to give 14% rather than just 13%. So for those of you who are coming to our um, meeting next week, our voters' meeting, to pass our budget, you'll see that. We're going to give 14% away, because we intentionally wanted to do that. It's a great position to be in because it's really hard to assume it's all for your consumption when you open up your hand and let some of that go. So problem number one, the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Problem number two is the assumption that it's going to last. Again, I'm old enough and I've been through enough market turns to, to watch like, oh, wow, hey, I'm doing great. Ooh, wow, I'm not doing so good. Oh, wow, doing great. Oh, not doing so good. I grew up with a father who was a World War II veteran, and he grew up then as a child in the Great Depression, and so I grew up with some phrases like clean plate club. Anybody else clean plate club kind of people growing up? And, and so on the plate, whatever was on your plate, you better eat everything on your plate. And I hated that as a kid because sometimes there was stuff on my plate I didn't really like, and I didn't want to eat all the stuff on my plate, but that was just part of the rule. And as I grew up and got a little bit older, and even now as I look back on that, I'm like, oh, I see where this came from. This was my dad growing up in the Great Depression where often they didn't have anything to eat. And every single thing they had, they were so incredibly grateful for. I remember going down to Panama and our church that I served in a while ago, we intentionally adopted Panama and said, we want to start seven churches in the country of Panama and uh, we're going to raise up indigenous pastors so they can serve them. And so we put all that plan together and we'd go down there and we'd help build churches and, and it was a really neat kind of thing. And one of those trips that I was on and we're building this church and we're on the scaffolding and up there and pounding nails because they don't have the air hammers and stuff like that that we use today. So we're f physically pounding in nails and because I'm not very good at carpentry, you know, I, I hit this nail and it instantly bends. And so I do what I've just done all my life. I throw that nail down, go to pick up another one. And I hear um, one of the Panamanians that's working next to me, he's like, no, 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 no. What do you mean, no? And he, he picks up that broken, twisted uh, nail that I just tried to pound in, and he grabs a hold of it, and he's carefully, like, knocking it back into place, or it's at least a relatively straight nail now. And he looks at me, and he hands it back to me, and I think the Spanish, and correct me if I'm like, bueno, como, nuevo, is that right? Good as new? <laughs> um, and he hands it back to me, good as new. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. Like, we just throw nails, or like, this is not a big deal. No, we don't waste anything here, everything we use. Wow, that is not the culture I grew up in. <laughs> and somehow in America, we have this assumption that everything is going to last forever. Look what Jesus says in verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because what happens with treasures on earth? Where moth and vermin destroy, or thieves break in and steal. This is the trajectory. You know, either somebody's going to steal it from you, or it just rots and eventually just disintegrates. This is everything that happens in this world. This is the trajectory that everything is on. And sometimes we get a little spoiled um, where we live here in America with so much that we have. 
and even a, a stable, uh, you know, stable economy compared to most of the world. I remember um, as we got a chance to travel to Africa and just looking at Africa and some of the challenges that that continent was facing, and particularly uh, Zimbabwe uh, back in 2009. I don't know if you remember this at all, but they had a hundred trillion dollar note. Hundred trillion dollar note. That's crazy to think about. Man, I could have moved to Zimbabwe and been a trillionaire. That would have been wonderful to be able to say. In the midst of, of what was going on, that was the last thing they did because then everybody's like, we've just given up. Like, we don't believe this currency at all is worth anything at all. That even at that time, you know, that $100 trillion note, 40 cents. That's what that, that was worth, 40 cents. Unless we think that's just part of the world's problem. We have a lot of currency that we've used. I wrote down a few um, that we've used. Confederate bills. Those aren't worth anything except collector's items. Continentals, mine script, merchant tokens, encased currency, gold notes, all of these kind of things have just gone the wayside and they're just collector's items. That's all they're valuable for. Nothing lasts. Reminds me of a great story that Jesus told of a rich man who had an incredible bumper crop. He said, man, I don't have enough room to store all this. He said, I know what, I'm going to rip down my barns and tear them down, build bigger ones, and I'm just going to kick back and take life easy. The great American dream, isn't it? But I love what God spoke to him that night. Luke records this story when he says, you fool, this very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Only one of three things happens. It just naturally disintegrates and is destroyed. Somebody breaks in, steals it, or you die. We don't get to keep any of this. It doesn't last. And so what's the anecdote? Man, if you find yourself with the assumption that everything I have is just going to last forever, if you've sort of bought into that, that we live in a world that, no, I can trust what is going to be in my bank account and the stock market, and I can trust in the American dollar or whatever it is that you put your confidence and faith in, what's the anecdote to that? Well, yeah, give generously. It's a wonderful anecdote to that. Give generously. And we love doing this as a church. Uh, we love to give money away and support missions and do all kinds of things. But there are a couple other things that we're doing as a church, too, that I really, really love. If everybody fulfills their heart for his house commitment, in five years, I've been here just about five years now, and over a five-year period, if everybody finishes their commitment, we will pay off um, almost three-quarters of a million dollars worth of debt in five years. Man, that excites me, because we're on a trajectory to be completely debt-free, and, and that is my goal. I'd love to see this place debt-free, not so we can say, oh, great, hey, we're debt-free, so we can be more generous, so we are freed up to do more ministry to our community and around the world, that we're not strapping the next generation with debt that we wanted, stuff now. Like, no, we're setting our the generation free. We've got a team that's meeting, not right now, but they're meeting in this season of time where they're talking about putting an endowment fund together. And what I love about that is I've been doing some reading, and some of that reading has scared me a little bit because they say in about seven years, there's going to be a tsunami of giving in the church that is going to hit, and if churches aren't ready for it, um, we're going to go through a really difficult season for churches. Because in the generation, like I, I grew up where we gave, that's sort of what we did. 
And, but a lot of people don't grow up in that environment anymore. And so the generation of people that have been faithful givers to the church, week in and week out, sacrificially giving to the kingdom of God, when that generation dies out, and there's not the younger generation that has come alongside and giving at the same rate, man, churches are gonna be in trouble. And so we put an endowment fund together to say, boy, let's, let's be ready for that season. So as we're raising up another generation of people who are generous toward Jesus and generous toward his church, that we've got some stability in an endowment fund that can help us weigh out the tidal wave that's coming in the church. And so the greatest thing that we can do is in our mind already, let's just decide what we're going to do and let's decide to be generous. Finally, problem number three is the assumption that it's not a big deal. And maybe that's the way some of you feel right now. Okay, whatever, it's just money. It's not that big of a deal. I don't know why. This is why you know, church people don't like pastors talking about money is because it's just not that big of a deal. Well, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, what you honor, what you value, what you focus your attention on, there is where your heart is. It's another way of saying that's gonna be the trajectory of your life. That is the direction in which you're heading. And so Jesus says it is important. This is why Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp to the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, man, how great the darkness. Back when I was dating my wife, um, gone out and she was like, oh, let's stop. I want to run in quickly and grab something and I'll just run through the garage and grab it. And so she opens up the garage door and in her garage was a 2007 Hayabusa motorcycle, 1300 cc's. Now that might not mean much to a lot of you, um, but that, at that time, that year, was the fastest production sport bike, like out of the box. You couldn't find a faster motorcycle. And I remember seeing that and she must have seen the look in my eyes and she's like, I know, it's too big of a bike. I'm like, no, I think that's really cool. Like, I, I wouldn't have pictured you like buying a Hayabusa, but man, that's awesome. And she's like, you wanna ride it? I'm like, no, I might have a little too much testosterone to ride something that fast, that's really okay. And, and so we had worked with her and just riding around so she felt comfortable if somebody was behind her driving so nobody would come up on her. And so we'd do that for a while and she pulled into a parking lot. She goes, why don't you just take it for a spin in the parking lot? Like, I, I haven't ridden a motorcycle since I was in high school. I'm not really sure. Like, you know, how many gears? Six gears? Okay, we got that. Okay, clutch, brake. Okay, wonderful, great throttle, go. And so I went around the parking lot uh, a couple of times, and then I pulled up next to her. I'm like, I tell you what, I'm going to be right back. I'm just going to go out on the street just a little bit, and gone, and, you know, come back 15, 20 minutes later, and just, like, fell in love with, with riding that motorcycle. But I do remember one piece of advice that she gave me before I took off going down the street. She goes, be careful what you look at, because where you look is where you're gonna go. You look into a ditch, you're gonna end up in a ditch. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that, not only because it's, I think, good advice when you're riding a motorcycle, but I think it's great advice for life. Where you look is where you're gonna go. And Jesus said, be careful what you focus your eyes on and your attention on, because if you're chasing after the next buck and the next money, the next opportunity, the next whatever, that's the direction in which you're heading. And when you're heading in that direction, you're not heading toward Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. 
Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you expect, like, you can't serve God and the devil there. But what he says is you can't serve both God and money because he knows the trajectory of so many people's hearts. I know that's what you're chasing after. I know you think that's where your security is. I know you think that that's freedom. The more money you have, the more freedom you have. It's not true. And so external choices really reveal an internal spiritual condition that we have. And so by now you know the anecdote, don't you? Anecdote is give generously. And if you find yourself wrestling with that, You know, one of the things I, I think about is I think about my life and how I've handled money. Um, I can think of a lot of purchasing decisions that I regret. I bought some things that I look back and go, now, what a waste of money that was. But I've never regretted ever giving money away. I look on that and go, I'm thankful that I did that. I'm not even sure it was always used for God's glory, um, but I've never regretted giving money away. So what I want to challenge you today to think about is take these three homework assignments. And I apologize for saying homework on Sunday. I know that's like really offensive to some people, especially younger people. But I really want you to, to do something as we close the series and close this message. I want you to do something different that you normally don't do. So let me just give you three very quick assignments. Number one is keep reading. And what I want you to do is keep reading um, this next section. One of the things I've been doing with our kingdom men, it's a group of guys that meet at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. We ask them to give up one Sunday a month, and they'll come, and, and they pray uh, over the campus, and then we pray over whoever is preaching that morning. And every Friday, I send them an email just to remind them, hey, we're coming Sunday. If you want to join us on Zoom, here's the link. If you, and, and I'll send them. We've been going through the book of Acts, and I, I say, here's what I'm doing. I would encourage you to read every day this chapter of Acts. And so every day, seven days a week, I'll read the same chapter of Acts and just ask God, give me something new in this section. So I invite you to do, you don't have to read a whole chapter. Just read the next 10 verses in this Gospel of Matthew. So read Matthew 25 to 34. Because coincidentally, right after he talks about you can't serve God and money, you know what he talks about? Do not worry. I think he starts getting at the heart of the problem. Why is it that you're holding on to money so tightly? I'm, I'm worried. This is my safety net. Just read through that section. Read it over and over. Second thing I want you to do is identify one area where you're storing up treasures on earth. Just identify one area. You don't have to do anything with it. Just identify it. Like, boy, here's something I grabbed a hold of. I had a friend of mine years and years and years ago who who gave me this picture, and I've never forgotten this one either. He, He said, you know, John, before I buy anything of substance significance, He said, I asked myself the question, if God were to come down and say, give that back or give that to somebody, would you be willing to do so? And if you're not willing to do so, then maybe you shouldn't buy it because it has become, you know, an idol for you. It's become something more important to you than what God is asking you to do. And I tell you, I've thought about that often before I buy a new car buy a house, clothes, whatever it is, that I want to make sure I'm holding on to that loosely because I know it's just temporary. It doesn't last forever. And if God shows up and says, John, I want you to give that away, I need in my heart to be able to say, yes, God, absolutely, here you go. It's not that God doesn't want us to have good things, 
God just doesn't want those good things to have us. And I used to be really offended when he first told me that, and it took me a little while to get over that because I realized it exposed some things in me with my own generosity that I didn't really want to see. But the more I dug into what he told me and the more I thought about our God and how generous our God is. See, when the world was broken and the world was heading away from God, God loved the world. And because God so loved the world, he didn't just send an angel to come save the world. God didn't create another being to come and live a perfect life and die on a cross. God came himself. Talk about the greatest act of generosity ever experienced. God himself coming down to a mess he didn't make for creatures that could care less about him or following him. He said, no, I love you so much. I'm gonna give up my life so that you can be set free and you can live the incredible act of generosity in that moment. And so the more generous we can become, uh, the more we connect with Jesus. Well, this leads to the third homework assignment I want to give you. Find one thing you can do this way to be generous. Find one way to give this week generously. And this is not a thing to ask you to give more money to St. John. There are a lot of great organizations you can give money to and be generous to. Mansfield Mission Center is a wonderful thing. CASA is a wonderful organization you can give money to. Um, our Hope Coffee that we support here, that's another wonderful organization. The Metroplex Women's Clinic. There are all kinds of wonderful organizations that you can, you can be generous to. You can walk into a coffee shop, buy the coffee for a person behind you, or go to a grocery store and look, just look for somebody that doesn't look like they have a lot of money and they're sort of looking at prices on everything and just buy their groceries for them for one day or fill up somebody's gas tank or whatever it is, just to find some act of generosity and just see what happens inside your spirit. Because you ever notice when you've been generous, if you've ever been generous before, and somebody maybe have never done this before, but when you truly do something, just a generous kind of thing, I'm giving to you, there's no strings attached to this, that isn't there something good that happens in your soul that you feel good about? You ever wonder where that comes from? Man, I really do believe that is the spirit of God that is just shouting, amen, this is what I created you to do because I'm a generous God. And when you're generous, you are connecting with God in such a unique way. And that is where that feeling of euphoria comes from. It's not just the feeling good that comes from helping somebody. It's the feeling that I'm doing what God created me to do. And this is the kind of church that we want to be, which is why we ended this series with this message. Because we want to be on good, solid financial footing. And we work hard at that as board of directors, elders, staff. We work really, really hard at being good financial stewards of everything that God has entrusted to us. But more importantly than that, we want to be a, a liquid church that is generous so the community knows. Even people who don't follow Jesus, they're looking back and going, thank God, God put St. John here. I don't even believe in Jesus, but I love the fact that our community is better because St. John is here. I love the fact that our world is better because St. John has been placed here. And so we want to continue to be that kind of generous church, not hoarding the, the just refreshing waters of God to ourselves, but we're taking those out into the community.